Hello and welcome to the next edition of Lights on Europe. If you've been involved with women empowerment issues, you totally know who is Isabella Lenarduzzi and her work with JUMP. She is one of the biggest activators, role models and active women on the scene of working with businesses mainly to understand what's the business case behind women quality and diversity. The fascinating part of this interview is that despite the work that she's been doing for women throughout all these years, she's also a victim of gender bias in decisions like when she was raising investment for her own company. So listen to this interview. I think it's super fascinating and hear beautiful, inspiring words about what Europe, humanity, feminism and ecology have in common. Hello, Isabella. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation. Thank you for inviting me. You're a big role model for all of us who are trying to contribute a little bit to the work aiming at women empowerment and gender equality in Europe. You've been involved in this for decades, I assume. (laughs) You're one of the first pioneers who've launched projects which are aiming at women empowerment, not only in Brussels, but over time it's turned into Belgium, France and much bigger scope of your activity. So why don't we start with how it was at the beginning? Do you still remember back then? I don't even, I mean, I can't tell when it was when you were starting, but how was it for you when you were a pioneer in this field and when it wasn't so obvious? Why does it make sense to empower women to be much more self-expressed and successful in the business world and on the labor market? I've always been a feminist, but it wasn't very clear to me that we were so much unequal on the labor market. I always built my my projects, my career on the basis that uh, I'm equal to men, I have the same opportunities. And then it turned out that it was not the case. But because I'm a social entrepreneur since ever, I've I've never worked for an organization as an employee. Uh, The first first companies that I settled uh, uh, was together with a um, men business partner. And it was during the 80s. Every time I did something differently, uh, they were laughing at me. And not because they don't like me, we are still friends, but because they thought it was not the right way of being a leader. And so I tried to convince myself that I had to be uh, a man like others. And uh, there was one way of being a leader. And I wanted absolutely desperately be a, a, a very good leader. So I really forced myself to be to be like them. I didn't know that there was uh, maybe different types of different types of leadership at that time it was really not clear until the moment that it, it was difficult with my team because I was perceived as being tough arrogant and so on and this is not the way I perceive myself and there was really um, a, a gap between the perception that my employees had on me and the things I know about me and and then I had the chance to do a course on uh, female leadership and there the trainers made evidence about the fact that there were different types of leadership and uh, that you could be a very good leader even if you were not aligned on on the usual masculine type of leadership and so it was a very big 
uh, opening for me, an eye-opener for sure, and a, a, a way of being much more free about how I could behave uh, in, in the workplace. And I, this is when I began my journey, say, seeing that, yes, I had some 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 barriers uh, to some barriers to face that my male partners didn't have to uh, uh, to jump over, and that he, women were not equal to men in the workplace. And so, after a while, I decided it was uh, more or less 15 years ago uh, to launch a social enterprise dedicated to equality between women and men at work. But at the beginning, I thought it was much more something that women should handle, that it was much more something about women empowerment. I think it was about, not about fixing women, but women that needed to lean in. That's what I thought. And then I realized that it was not the case. It was that leaders needed to lean in in order to make the workplace inclusive, not only for men, but also for women, taking account of their differences or their, of their different lives. So it was about inclusion. It was about being gender bilingual, you know, uh, uh, talking the language of women and men, be really uh, not, not undervaluing the, the, the uh, women in the workplace, but valuing both men and women and all the different uh, all the different categories all the diverse talent and so I, I began to not to have only a message to women but to have a message to companies because at a certain point I'm uh, I was meeting a lot of women that told me you know we have uh, uh, we have taken part to your event it was the jump forum at that time and I said oh fine and so what's happening in your life then what 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 did you learn oh I learned so much it was really a life changer I've, I, I left my company I said oh, why so? Because they didn't want to hear what I had to say. They didn't want to value me. And so I, I needed to, 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 to go away from that workplace in order or to become an entrepreneur or to find a more inclusive employer. Uh, and I said, my goodness, so I have to do something with companies specifically. So which is why Jump is so special in this scene, because most of the pioneers or NGOs or companies active in this territory focus on empowering women, but not equal amount of effort is invested into working with the leaders. And so I'd be curious to hear your opinion based on your experience. What do you think is the key to onboarding the people who are typically not the allies, the CEOs, the men? And sometimes it's also the women who don't want to be stereotyped. And so they refuse the whole women entrepreneurship and or women empowerment narrative. What is the business case that you sell to them or how do you work with them to transform the way they're looking at this in order to transform their organization into much more gender equality literate place? You have two dimensions. First of all, for sure, uh, leaders need to understand the power of diversity and inclusion. Not only they have to understand it, but they have to do the exercise of what is the business case for my own organization. And so intellectually, they often understand because it's not like 30 years ago when the data wasn't there. The data is there now and you have the role model. So why they is don't it they, they don't get it? They don't know it. They have heard 
that diversity is good for the business, but they don't know how. They are not literate about it. They, 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 they have heard something, but they didn't take the time, most of them didn't take the time to really read uh, at least really the basics about them. So this is the first aspect. And then they need to do the exercise for their own organization. Because uh, if you speak about diversity in Coca-Cola, it will not be the same as uh, in, a, uh, in a public service or in an NGO or Coca-Cola uh, compared to NG, for example, NG that is much more uh, an, an industry based on engineering. Uh, so every organization should have its specific business case. That means really, so understand what the, conce the concept are, uh, understand what's the business case for uh, the whole economy, and then make the exercise to know the business case for my organization. And the presumption there is that the CEO of the company understands that there could be some potential and they are interested in receiving your or somebody else's service to walk that journey together and see how they can implement the gender equality. Exactly. Them. But in order to have them really on board, not only they have to understand what kind of uh, added value it will bring them, added value economically, I mean, but also they have to understand their culture, their corporate culture is not neutral. Their company is not fair. At least it is not fair for everybody. They usually say, We have a meritocracy here. If you are talented enough, if you work enough, then you will get there. It's completely false because this works for the usual type of, of, of the usual suspects that usually are men, that are white people, that do have some, some graduates from some kind of university. So that really are one of the insiders. So they have to face the fact that they are insiders and these insiders are represented at the top of the company. It's enough to see the picture of the executive uh, committee, to see who the insiders are. And then to check what the statistics are of the, the person in the company. How many women? How many, how many people that are handicapped, that are, are coming from a different cultural background? These kind of things, you know, the, the, the metrics about the diversity. And when you, when you know that women uh, are 56% of the graduates in Europe and that you, that you know that on average they are only 12% of the members of the executive committee, then you have an enormous gap. And it's not an ambition gap. It's not that women decide, even if we are more qualified than men, we prefer to be paid, uh, to have a lower paid job. We prefer to have less responsibility. So for sure, it's not a kind of decision like that. It Something happens uh, during the whole career. Something happens and we have to look at it. And we have to look at it by looking, uh, the first thing that we have to, to understand is that Companies were made by men for other men without knowing a clue about women. And so that means that women are, uh, do enter in a, in, a, in a corporate culture and in processes that are not neutral, that are not valorizing them uh, as much as the usual suspect, that means very often the man. And so if the company doesn't understand that, they won't be able to change their culture. You know, Peter Drucker says, 
strategy will be eaten at breakfast by, by the culture. So if you don't have the right culture to support your strategy, your diversity plan, uh, the numbers won't stick. You can recruit so many women that you want, but they will, they will either they will stay on, on the so-called uh, sticky floor, so they will stay at, at their entrance level in the company, either they will at a certain uh, point, they will leave the company because they don't feel respected and valued as they think they, 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 they merit. And so the very scary part about it is that there's so much work on growing on gender empowerment, but then the reality on the ground is completely disconnected from completely. these projects. And so you wonder who are these leaders who have their mouth full of the new narrative, but then they live completely different values on the ground. And it's, I guess it takes a couple of conversations for every one of us and every one of our listeners to ask the women and men also which are the examples of gender-based discrimination that they faced in their own life or in, the, in their surroundings. And what I find really scary here is that you are also, you've shared with me that you're almost the victim of, of this reality yourself as well, disregarding of how much work uh, you've done as a social entrepreneur in this uh, territory. You're also being punished by, for instance, the impact funds who are out there claiming that they are here to fund socially impactful projects, being punished by not having access to that capital simply because the people sitting there in the committee don't understand or don't really walk that talk in that everyday decision making. And so it's almost scary how all of us keep on reading those reports, we keep on reading those books about gender bias, but then even if we have it in our mission statement of the organization, we don't manage to translate it into the you know decision-making. You so know what? what is it? It's, it's because when you speak about diverse people that are part in, uh, of a minority, uh, the, you speak about the, how to enable them to access uh, to the labor market. But for women, it's, com it's, it's completely different. For women, we are half of the humanity. Ha more than half of the people. We are the biggest talent pool because we are 56% of the graduates. So it's a, we are a threat. We are a threat to the usual suspects that have more possibilities in, ac in accessing to, uh, to, to the decision-making positions. When you speak about equality between women and men at work, you speak about the share of power. And this is where you have all the resistance coming because the people that have the power or that want the power want, don't want to share it with half of the humanity. They because they see it as a zero-sum game and the, the, the decision would translate right. into better and results. And they are right, they are right because, you know, the, the, these positions, they, they, will not, they will not increase because uh, women are more willing to get the, the, the power positions. The number of the position will stay the same. So it means that it will be more difficult for men, that it is even now uh, more difficult for men to access uh, to these uh, 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 power decision uh, position um, because they are really, they are confronted with a competition made by women. It's the first time in the history of the humanity that white men have the threat of being of, of the competition from women. It's the first time. So for sure there is a resistance and I it's 
I can understand that. And so building on all this experience, you've contributed a lot to moving this thing forward. You've been rewarding by Ashoka as a fellow for all the work that you've been mm -hmm. doing. You are a senior in this territory. If you were a beginner now, since that there are so many passionate young entrepreneurs out there who want to contribute to this cause, how would you go about it? What would be your advice seeing the change that was already done, but also seeing that a lot of work is still ahead of us? How would you go about a socially impactful project that aims at women entrepreneurship? Because giving coaching to women is no longer enough seeing all these examples of extremely overcoached women who continue hitting that ceiling. What is it that needs to be done further? We should do like Facebook is doing, for example. Every time <clears throat> there is a, a new manager recruited or a new manager uh, promoted, they send this person, either men or, or, or women, uh, they send her, him to uh, a training of three days of three days in order for that person to understand his or her privilege. So it's like I said beforehand, it's not only a, uh, a matter of understanding uh, the economic added value of having more diverse people uh, in the organization, it's also of understanding that your organization is not neutral, that some people in your organization are more privileged than others. In order for you to implement measures that will try to balance much more this lack of privileges for some. And I think this is really the point. This is why leaders need to, lead, uh, uh, to lean in. Leaders need to understand. Leaders must be inclusive leaders and being humble enough to question themselves on who am, where am I on, uh, uh, in, this, in, in this society? Am I at a privileged uh, position compared to others? Am I really the, the, the biggest ally to the underprivileged ones? And what do I do in my day-to-day -day life and in my leadership position to change the system? It's about a changing system because inequalities between women and men are really the center of all the domination uh, system and, the, and our capitalist and patriarchal uh, society is really a, a multiple system of domination but the heart of it is the domination of men on women and even if in our European countries it is not we have access to the same rights and, and we need to celebrate and it's fine and we are more and more women everywhere in, in big positions and so on and so on but never Nevertheless, nevertheless, we don't have the same position in the society. If we don't recognize that there is a system uh, that underprivileges women, then we will not face it and we will not never do something uh, against it. And so the last question that I want to ask you is about the system. You're a businesswoman, so obviously you understand very well what businesses need to do. But also having grown up and lived in Brussels in the European bubble, you know very well the policymaking world here. And so I wonder, what do you think is the ideal space there for policy intervention? Now that the European Commission has the first female president, we have a commissioner in charge of equality. We Many of us are now involved in preparing the next gender equality package. There's going to be all kinds 
kinds of policy tools leaving this house. But I wonder a woman like you who've been through this and who understands both the policy and business world, what do you think could be one, two, three top interventions that you would go for if you were, let's say, an advisor to the president for these issues? You know, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the European Union. I'm a, I'm, I'm a completely fan because I really do think that Europe, ecology and feminism have exactly the same basis. It is about shifting a system of power rules, so domination rules, the bigger, the biggest against the weakest. Uh, so uh, for Europe, it's clear huh? the biggest countries overruling the smaller countries, and so on. Uh, the European the European Union is about collaboration, is about respecting uh, each uh, every country uh, despite uh, the, the number of the population, their economic strength, and so on. It's a fantastic revolution. E uh, ecology is exactly uh, the, the same. So it is about not the humans uh, using the resources of the planet, you not using uh, animals, but respecting the planet, respecting the animals. And for uh, feminism, it's exactly the, the same. It's really trying to not to reverse a domination of men against women by another domination. It's about shifting that domination into a much more collaborative uh, society, respectful society. So the basis for these three incredible political vision, Europe, ecology and feminism are exactly the same. So Europe must be the pioneer, especially the European institutions must show the way to every country, every member country. And I remember very well that when Viviane Redding uh, wanted to implement her quota regulation for uh, having more women on boards, she had so much resistance. It was incredible the resistance that she had to face. First of all, the resistance even from women themselves, but from, from everybody else. But she was so powerful, so resistant, so constant about getting there that she managed to change the mentality. And now there is no big company that would say uh, we will get to gender equality without setting targets, quantitative targets. Everybody has understood that if you if you want to be strategic, if you want to have results, you need to put, to put indicators and to and to set targets, final uh, objectives, and uh, and so this this illustrates how much strength lies in the European institutions when you have personalities and institutions that really show the way to countries saying, hey guys, you have understood the Treaty of Rome, all the other treaties uh, uh, of the European Union. Equality between women and, and men is at the basis of our uh, values. Uh, so you have to respect that. And this is absolutely fundamental. This is, this is the fact for, for, this is the metaphor violence against women for their share of power you know every kind of even even the way we we we, we talk uh, trying to have much more you know uh, getting rid of firemen policemen and saying police person for example or fire person of uh, 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 
change even the language. There is nothing that is unuseful, nothing that is less important than some other things. Everything is important when you want to change a system. And I really do think that uh, European institutions are at the heart at this change, at this uh, capacity of it is a radical agent for change uh, equality. And, and voila, you need to breath it, you need to impose it. Thank you very much. We don't have too much time for more, but I think it was a beautiful teaser, taster introduction to all the amazing work that you're doing. So I invite everybody to check out the work of Jump. We will also put the links in the description. And thank you very much and good luck with everything that you continue doing. <laughs> thank you so much. For listening for follow-up you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms including our instagram lights on europe so feel free to go there now and leave us your review likes feedback as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time bye